Hey, Mike. Hi. I don't know if you can tell, but my, my voice is a little strained because I'm anxious. Oh, yeah? Why are you anxious, Michael? I don't know. Just what, what movie were we supposed to watch? We were supposed to watch 2007's There Will Be Blood. Oh, no. What? Oh, no. Why? Oh, no? Why? What, what happened, Michael? I read There Will Be Flood, the New York Post article about how California is doomed to have a mega flood in the next 30 years that'll cause infrastructural damage on the order of trillions of dollars. Oh. You bastard. But you. I seen it. I seen it. We could. <laughs> I mean, I could remember. Bastard in a basket. <laughs> You're a ba- uh, it's from a basket, by the way. Huge revelation on this mm. watch through. Bastard from a basket. I've been saying that wrong forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I watched it. I'm full of shit. I'm full of blood. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm full of blood. I don't want blood. Hey, hey, you know, mm-hmm. that it actually made me sad because I thought about the mega floods. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, anywho. This anywho. is uh, Anderson's, where we talk about Woo! the films of uh, both Wes and P.T. Anderson. It's a PTA day. Oh, what a day. What oh, a what glorious a day. day. What a day for pals. That's my pal, Abe Epperson. Hey, over there, that's my pal, Michael Swaim. Look at us. And together, uh, we analyze these films through three spectra. Mm -hmm. Diegesis, pedagogy, and howdy do that. And uh, do you have any opening volleys before we just dive in, or should we get right to die? A Jesus. Uh... (laughs) We can go, we can go, uh, you know what? I'll just say a little tidbit. Uh, Sometimes you have a spiel, that's all. I don't have a spiel, but I do, I just wanted to know. I just thought it was cool because mm-hmm. I've I, 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 I been thinking this is true and I verified it for the first time. Uh, some may not know, but with the exception of Phantom Thread, which we're going to cover in a few months here, mm-hmm. all of P.T. Anderson's have taken place in the greater Los Angeles area. And I just think that that's pretty cool. Oh, including uh, this. Yeah, okay. Including this. This happens in, like, California, so. Where's Fan uh, uh, I don't know, in, like, the Europe okay. Europe area. But that's, man, it's fascinating just to think of that from a geological timescale perspective. Like, anywhere you are in the yeah. world, there's so many stories. If you go back mm-hmm. and forward in time, everywhere, everywhere we travel is so rich with story. It's that city of God shit, you know yeah, what I'm man. saying? Yeah, yeah. Man. yeah. Uh, two th- okay, so is, was that the tid? That was the tid. Let's get to the bits. I did my bit. He did his tid. This is Diegesis. Wah, wah, wah. Who wants to kick it off? This is basically where we outline the movie for people who might not have seen it in a bit or just enjoy, you know, revisiting those places and those spaces through the magic of podcasting, but also as an excuse to hop in and give our thoughts about the film. Um, but not all of our thoughts, because we try to save big, sweeping, philosophical underpinning stuff for the next segment. So this will be more rooted in the concrete reality of the film we saw, which yeah. is 2007's There Will Be Blood. And uh, mm. you want me to, shall I? Shall, to, let's let's right. tag team back again. do do whenever you feel so moved. But yeah. uh, we get beautiful Western landscapes and we know or it's a Western. I don't know if you knew, but that's thing one. It's a Western takes place in 1898 and a little bit further in time than that. But also uh, we see a also, I mean, I guess the first thing we see is a miner who loses his tools 
because he can't lift them fast enough to avoid some dynamite that he said exploding. And it causes him to fall into the mine uh, and badly injure himself. And he doesn't he don't care because at the same time, his blast loosed a silver nugget and money over everything. And that's the theme of this film, frankly. Money, money over everything. Yeah. So he takes the silver nugget and we're like, oh, shit, is he screwed? No, because he drags his broken legged ass back to town mm-hmm. on his back, like crawling, crawling on your back. Like as if you were swimming the backstroke, but on dirt and just (laughs) through sheer force of will. Pushing slowly. So just we we meet this mysterious stranger and we see just how far he'll go for profit, right? And this Mm -hmm. is of course Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel Plainview, we get him signing a register as he gets the pro the proceeds from his silver nugget. And we're like, okay. This is uh, a mythic tale swirling around this incredible figure, clearly. And indeed, it turns out that it is. Uh, We cut to a little later in his life and he has two helpers now, which I think is cool because it immediately it's basically a Rocky training montage right at the top. But it's done so elegantly, you would never confuse the two. Right. So it's like man finds silver nugget. Man trades in silver nugget for money. Cut back to the same mine. And he has two helpers while he kind of chills more. Right. And it, you're like, okay. And there's a frame now. He's so he's building hired men, something. And right. he's design and on paper he's designing machines to pull the oil out of the ground. Like this is a really like uh grassroots kind of project for him. He's one of the early oil men who mm. did it, who just designed stuff. Uh, you know, uh a small like business. Those owners. derricks and pumps you see, he's designing mm. new ones himself. Yeah, so. exactly. And they're like small scale. But that's the thing is as we go along the journey, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. One thing I wanted to note is that uh, just, you know, doing some work for later, uh, something that we do get a lot of in the section in the first 20 seconds. Well, actually, or 20 uh, minutes. Actually, we get it at the beginning and then we get silence is something we'll talk about, which is Johnny Greenwood's score, which you the first shot of the movie it really feels like the shining. I don't know if you felt that way too, because it's like pan up to landscape. And then suddenly it's just like this discordant violin notes playing together. And if you've seen the movie, you know exactly the tone we're talking about. And it really makes it feel like there's something off about all of this. So like on top of this montage, that's really just plot wise about a guy trying to do better for his oil business it, it, and slowly doing you better. feel a little yeah. bit haunted and you don't know why yet and i think that that's pretty cool also in the 20 for first 20 minutes you get that first note which like holds for like 20 seconds and then you get silence which i think is one of the coolest things in this movie is that like you have this amazing score and you just hold on to it for the first 20 minutes of your movie. You just don't do any of it. <laughs> and that's just pretty cool. Anyway. I just uh, like yeah. to point out the score by definition is not diegetic. But yeah. So wait, I don't know. Should I spill? Yes, I have course thoughts about the score. But is it time? I feel like it's I, not time. Of course it is. Diegesis, the R's. <laughs> The, our section diegesis is just talking about things that are in the movie. doesn't mean that we only talk about the diegesis of the movie, Michael. Okay. Otherwise, well, I was saving never my- never talk about score. I was saving my cohesive score thoughts for pedagogy because they're sort of philosophical, but sure. here it comes. Well, yeah. Like no, a no, gusher. No, yeah, whatever you want. Um, 
it's like a horror drone over beautiful Western landscapes, which is so rare because nature is slow moving in many cases, obviously not like a lion or a cheetah, but you know what I mean? Landscape is slow moving by our definition. It does move. If you could view it in a long enough time scale, you know, trees would look like fireworks. They'd burst out of the ground and explode and That's die away, true. which would be fucking rad. Uh, and the earth would be all tumbly bumbly. And mm -hmm. We so rarely appreciate that. And it's a great Kubrick's a great touch point because, yeah, I totally forgot he pulls the same maneuver. But so rarely do we just show a static shot of a beautiful landscape and play music that makes you go, wait, what? What's wrong? Am I going to die? What's going on? Um, and that is nature has that power. And this is about the power of nature and the power of nature that dwells within this man. Right. So I think it's really awesome. And it's also the next time we use it, it's used twice to underscore shots of nature with no people. And the mm. very next time it's used, it's to underscore Daniel Plainview's entrance. So the score is mm. literally telling you nature is dark and fucked up and it's in this man. He is a force of nature. He is of it. And here he comes into town. I am the third it's, revelation. He is. It's fucking rad. Um, yeah. It's a great score. The first time I saw the movie, it didn't gel with me because it's so untraditional. I just thought, I don't know. This time I'm like, no, no, no. It's utterly flawless. And it's not jarring or like it fits fine. I don't know what I was all hung up about. I wanted some kind of orchestral <laughs> score. Yeah. Um, but I also I think love... I remember that. I think I remember you saying that. And I was like, oh, I was man, like, I the score sucked, though. Yeah, yeah. And Jen got mad at me, too, about that. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's Radiohead. Uh, it's also that twice. I love that the montage is composed twice in a row of Mr. X of, of the fortune nature meaning mm -hmm. he falls and breaks his leg we think we're viewing a scene where the hero is in great peril and this is bad nah -uh. he's super happy this is great this is a really good day for him then later which is the next scene we're about to get to with his uh buddies having a bit of a crew now they accidentally drop a whole drill bit which in oil terms is like this huge hunk of metal and you're like oh fuck that's bad and it breaks through the ground and they strike oil so I guess so. it's like it creates this disquieting effect of you don't know what's good news and bad news. You right. don't until you even see know, his reaction. You don't know. You have to look to him to see what the world is. And right. he's yeah. training you to be this like movie is him doming everything, including that's the audience. That's so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that, that's well put. Well put. Very much so. Um, yeah. I, I did skip in the. No, no, no. This is not where the dude dies. Um, they just hit oil. Um, but then a beam falls and crushes a dude to death and yeah. with no dialogue, which is great. Uh, we see that Daniel Plainview adopts his orphan and it's just like, and that's, we H -W. don't, yeah, to quote Hedberg, we don't need to bring paper and pen into this. <laughs> like he just, he's yeah. my child now. No one cares. He tries to feed it whiskey. Yeah. Uh, otherwise he's pretty ambivalent to anything that isn't mining in this section, but he does mm -hmm. adopt the orphan and we learn very soon why. Yeah. Uh, Although there is our a, first, a yeah. shot on the train of the him letting the baby pull on his mustache, which is a very perfect postcard of maybe he does have a soul. Maybe he is good or like he seems to they really do that, love that several baby. times. Yeah. We'll do that several times. And I want to talk about that later relative to yeah. other character involvements with him. But for now, we kind of jump a little forward in time. The first jump was 1898 to 1902. Now we jump to 1911. And he's basically trying to sell his services to other landowners, including 
Paul Thomas Anderson, or not Paul Thomas Anderson, sorry, Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's the uh, one who's, in fact, uh, PTF is on his side, PFT is on his side. He's like, he's the one going, gentlemen, we on, should listen to on. the man. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Because they think he's a uh, he's a piece of shit. They think he's a uh, confidence man. Which and he's he using his son bit. as uh, window dressing, which is accurate. He is. Yeah. That is all. Uh, he's doing all these things. I mean, he pitches. He's a family man. We hear, hear the spiel a few times through uh, the movie. His business is built on trust. The men I have who come work with me also. Family is important. He does it again later when, uh, you know, uh, Eli gets involved or he tries to like kind of uh, eat up the church as a part of that wholesome like business model that he has. That's yeah. why he's better than the others. Um, but yeah, then a, there's a, a monologue, which Daniel Day Lewis improvised, by the way, the sales pitch monologue. It's. And it's like wonderfully Staggering. efficient. Like what yeah. a what writing. Yeah. He must have really, really worked on it. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. I, I don't think that that just comes 5, to thousand barrels of oil a week. <laughs> a like, voice based on John Houston. Then I went and listened to a bunch of John Houston. That's interviews, right. And he does sound exactly like him. He has the cadence and it's all about how he stops. He, it's how I he stops. You, I'd eat you up. <laughs> yeah. It's how he stops. And he also has a constant like high intonation that he doesn't ever remove. It's very monotone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we get a scene where Paul Sunday, who's played by uh, Paul, Paul Dano. Dano. Paul Drano. Dano. Yeah. Drano. Uh, and who plays twins in this. That I didn't, The first time I watched this movie, it took me so long to understand what the fuck was going on with that because he's twins in this movie. And we only see one twin this scene, which is offering plain view info on oil on his property saying. And I love this scene. I want to get into it because there's something a little special about uh, the scene, which is that it's a three man scene. Uh, Kieran Hines is there, uh, Plainview is there, and Paul Drano's there. And mm. at USC, they showed us this eye track test. Have you? I know you've seen it because I think I showed it to you, but I don't know how well this is known. I thought it was like a meme for a bit because it's kind of a cool inside Hollywood thing. And you can yeah. look at this go, there will be blood eye tracking, and you'll find it on YouTube. And what's cool about it is they had these little things that they put on. Uh, your head and they forced you to watch like these uh, just watch the movie and it really drew it draws your eye it shows how Paul Thomas Anderson understands exactly what pull, like pulls your eye to different things and they're simple games but they're uh, very effective and usually it's like the brightest things or things that are revealed make you focus on different parts of the frame. Or that sudden seems obvious. Yeah, the stuff you think logically. It's just and putting the attention in and the work in to make it happen. And it, and it's so good. Once you see that scene, which is just a simple dolly push up, you realize how important the blocking is, even though they're seated the whole fucking time because mm -hmm. people shift their weight. And because of the stillness of the scene, the kind of tension of the scene, because it's like, wait, do you have oil? Do you have the golden ticket? Like what's going on here? And they're all sniffing each other out. No one wants to play their cards. So they like hold back and are very reserved, but your eyes are never really bored if you're paying attention because your eyes are always distracted. So even though it's a scene that is very slow and there's no movement and there's very little light, 
it's amazing how much your eyes move during the scene relative to like any other scene. And that's just a testament to how Anderson directs the eye deliberately, who's talking, where the light goes, and when the dolly moves to crop parts that he doesn't want. And it's like only a minute long shot. It's pretty cool. And ultimately, um, it goes well. The the he, After some back and forth, Paul Sunday basically is like, all right, you're going to give me uh, $10,000, basically. There's some negotiation. Oh, this but is important. I'm going to tell you it's... where my property is, and then you're going to go get that oil. And yeah. he takes it kind of on a leap of faith. Plainview, a guy who is very much distrustful, we get the vibe of, we haven't seen verification of, you get the assumption that it's like, well, why would he just do that on principle? And it's because Plainview says, if I find out that if I go there and there's no oil, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you, basically. Is that all right um, with you? And he says, yes, sir. Um, <laughs> yes, but it's sir. important to note it's not 10000 It's $500. It's $500. Later, Although, he will claim it is 10000 <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. In terms of what Plainview claims in this movie, who knows what's mm -hmm. even true? Um, but yeah, that's that's true in terms of this scene. That's what goes down. Um, and so he agrees to assay the claim. Um, and we see a long dolly shot of his rival. I also wanted to point this one out in just terms of trademark of PTA, just like we have with Wes Anderson, like the slow motion ending. Uh, something that from here on in we get with PTA is usually our main character arriving the space that they are going to inhabit for the rest of the film. Uh, he does it by a long lateral dolly shot across the space with the character traversing in that space. And so it's a very simple, wide, single directional dolly. It's an inherent vice, phantom thread, licorice pizza, all have them. I just wanted to point that out. And it's very cool. And it's also when we bring back Johnny Greenwood's score. Uh, yeah. And they approach the Sunday ranch where Paul told them to go and where the oil was pretending to be quail hunters so that the person won't basically like when we used to try and go shoot around LA and we wouldn't want them to know we're shooting because we would just be like, could we like use your space? How much is that? Cause if they know you're shooting something, they're like, ah, Hollywood, cha-ching $10,000. Yeah. Um, he's doing that deal with these people. So he's going and going, we're just hunting quail. And I thought this is just textural, but the hospitality culture is really interesting. I mean, it's not just textural cause it speaks to the kind of society that a man like him can dominate within. Uh, mm. but very different. And you don't even see this in Westerns, but I imagine it's historically accurate. The people there, even though these are strangers, right, feel obliged to like feed them, clothe them, let them camp on their land. He like yeah. yells at his daughter, like, go get milk for the guests. And like, that's very interesting to me that in the Wild West, like if someone just showed up on your ranch, you'd be like, of course, hospitality, hospitality. Yeah, yeah it's that Protestant. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it's a Christian thing in general. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's also Eastern culture as well. Still know? to this day maintains it more than we have abandoned it. <laughs> That's what's That's interesting. That's right? one of the, yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, in this later. movie mm -hmm. a little bit later. That, I, that's what I like about this movie. Then they spot Eli, who uh, is Paul's twin brother, as Abe said. Uh, I'm just going to get it out of the way man, now, man. Like, I do think it was a problem solved out of necessity. PTA, of course, uh, for I, I'm not fully. Ca are you talking about casting or? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to say who pulled the trigger because I don't know. But the actor originally playing Eli Sunday 
Paul Dano uh, was just supposed to be Paul, uh, Paul Sunday. So he was just one scene. Yeah. It's a minute long. And on the fly, Daniel Day-Lewis also vouched for him is something I read. But on the fly, uh, with only four days to prepare for his scenes after Daniel Day-Lewis had prepared for a year, they said, could you stretch and do the other part, the other brother, Eli? Who, which, which is, is the, whole the, movie. The, the whole movie. And he said, yes, of course. And the rest is history. And now he's the Riddler and everyone's happy. But my point is, uh, I don't know that it's a perfect solution because I do think it's weird. You can never have the twins together because that would ruin the story. They don't. They're mm -hmm. estranged. And Paul ran away. That's the point. But also to never have anyone mentioned that it wait you're his twin brother okay got it i just thought it was weird i still am like it's weird they that should you have don't added a line yeah i thought they could have played with it when they first meet eli because like daniel day loose could actually have a line of like are you fucking with me like right, exactly he would be he's suspicious. the kind of he's the kind of guy like obviously he could be like oh okay like you're just twins but He's a distrustful nature that we right. find, you know, and that could be added to that. I don't know. So maybe maybe Paul Thomas Anderson wanted to stay away from that for that reason. But it does create a weird artifact that you go like, huh, that's a little confusing. That didn't need to be. Yeah. I don't know. Life, I guess. But it's be not huge. Way. And by the end, he says, you're the dumb brother. Paul was the smart brother. And you're like, right. oh, they're brothers. OK. Um, so it's fine. It all comes out in the wash. But anyway, H.W. Yeah, yeah, steps in some oil and shows it to his dad in a shot eerily similar to another liquid on boot shot from another Western movie this year. No Country mm -hmm. for Old Men. Uh, and the, we see that he sort of bounces ideas off H.W. That's how he operates. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also, of course, a handy device for us to hear what he's thinking. So he says, we build a pipeline to Hanem. That's what we do. You see? You see that. Yes. Then we're making the real money we should be making. And H.W. Uh, uh, very importantly asks, what will we pay the Sunday family? And he says, I'm not going to give them oil prices. I'm going to give them quail prices. <laughs> so it's we great. go into the negotiation knowing he's going to try to fuck them. Lobo. Yeah. And they meet around the table and send the women immediately out of the room, which is just, I mean, it's realistic. It's on theme, but it's interesting to note that if like women are scrupulously cut out of this entire capitalist ecosystem, mm -hmm. uh, including like in the town hall, P.T. Anderson or someone yells, make that woman sit down. Why is she here? <laughs> like yeah. it's a theme of the movie. Yes. Um, and he gives him a sob story. He says, my boy's sick and we're here because he needs fresh, plentiful air. And we just want a quail hunt here. Blah, blah, jerk off motion. Mm. And then Eli goes, no, Eli stands up as the young man of the household. And is like, I know what you're doing, um, which means Paul basically like sicked this guy on his family. Uh, yeah. But Paul is there to defend and says, uh, I, we know about the oil. Don't don't try and do what you're doing. And he says, well, what do you want? And he says, ten thousand dollars. And he laughs and says, for what? And he says, for my church to improve the church. And he goes, that's good. That's a good one, which is literally like meaning like a joke, which I like. Right. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, and he nice talks negotiation tactic. So they end up getting talked up or down to like eighty seven hundred which is part of it is $5,000 that he's going to donate to the church. And now, interestingly, they never get that money, right? They, no, they only get no. the principal that is on the contract. The handshake deal is worth nothing, but they make a handshake deal. Um, Eli tries to turn it into a prayer 
and he yanks his hand back. <laughs> so we're already getting. Yeah, we're already getting. Oh, these guys do not like each other. <laughs> yeah, they are not he about each other. He hates that he made deal. him try to pray. What an asshole. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, we really get that vibe. And uh, and so then we start a little montage where it's like um, we're buying out the whole hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it should be noted just because it becomes later a plot issue that there's 600 acres owned by a, name, a man named Bandy who at this point in the story uh, is unseen and also unwilling to sell. But uh, more but said, so- I want to talk to you, but he blows him off mm-hmm. He goes, I'm not meeting with him. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to meet with me just like the rest of these other people who he talks to and promises great things, uh, including prosperity um, that comes along with wealth, uh, which is the kind of important spiel that he gives to everybody i am an oil man hmm. next the drill is on its way to development so we're we've broken ground and eli arrives at daniel's tent to tell him that he'll bless the well once everyone's kind of gathered gathered together and he says yeah yeah that'll be fine 4 p.m that'll be fine daniel does not do that when the time comes he says a quick blessing himself uh even using of, eli's phrasing word for word mm-hmm. while he looks at eli like i'm stealing your blessing <laughs> yeah he's like you try to shake my hand you try to pray with me <laughs> yeah, how dare you? yeah and i drink you up uh and we see that plain view uh kind of after that after the success of that the night uh, or after the success of the drilling being installed uh, Plainview likes to tie one on. He mm-hmm. uh, gets news, though. Uh, he gets w- woken up in the middle of the night, which happens several times in this movie. Uh, he gets news that one of his workers has died, similar to how the worker uh, died earlier in, uh, in his early days. Yeah. Of, Sorry to uh, interrupt. I just want to point mm-hmm. out we skipped over one very tiny scene, but I just think it's amazingly effective, uh, where he comforts Mary, who is one of the little girls that lives on Eli on the Sunday. Right. And says, you're going to be okay now. You know, you're going to get all these great things. You'll get pretty new dresses, just new dresses, no more hitting. And then it, the camera widens out and reveals that he's saying that in front of her father and the dad, like blushes and averts his eyes and takes a drink of water and he takes a shot from his flask and stares at the dude it's such a good scene (laughs) and it's because he needs i think yeah well well, i'm gonna tell you how to raise your kids i own this town now i own this town now and you don't tell me shit and your son is trying to tell me shit so I, i don't do that um but he gets news that one of his workers dies. he didn't know the guy and he tells the other you know his other workers clean him up um, the drill will start again on midday. So it's all business. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like we're going to take a day, a whole day to out of respect for the dead. No, it's a half day. Um, and then we see, I think the next scene is Eli's sermon, correct? That's right. And we see that he's a healer. He claims that he can cure a woman's arthritis and he screams to make the demons leave the ghosts leave. And uh, he'll fight it with his feet and his teeth and his gums. And they uh, um, they kind of. Yeah, he'll gum you. Um, And then there's a conversation between because uh, the whole reason that we're there is that uh, that Daniel has kind of arrived to watch it. And so after the sermon, uh, they kind of blame each other for the death of the worker. Uh, at first, uh, Eli's like, well, a better blessing would have ensured, you know, like maybe this unluckiness wouldn't have occurred. And then he says, 
And then uh, Daniel responds like, well, they keep coming down and hearing your sermons and they get tired and then they come back to work. And that's nonsense because your sermons are so long and, you know, operatic. Yeah. Like I'm uh, here to complain to you, motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, uh, Eli comes back with, well, they're drinking while they're working, uh, which is something that you allow. So it's your business. That's the flaw. So they're really at each other's teeth. Uh, they leave each other tense and unresolved, which is basically how this movie goes. Just cats batting at each other with no purpose other than I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And so, uh, and then we get kind of a, again, we get a more of a montage of time elapsing where Eli's church and his congregation grow with the resulting prosperity, just as Daniel day Lewis said, and he builds it in eye shot of the drill. That's the important part is mm. that they are, they're Hatfield McCoys to reference another uh, right. Western, just in terms of like, why are you doing this? You're just literally because uh, of what each he did to mad. me. Why is he doing yeah. that? Because of what you did to him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> the drill hits a pocket of gas and it explodes with oil. Um, it's which is great. We're gonna learn that's great if you're in the oil, but it does knock back HW. Less is some yeah. less great for HW. And uh Plainview runs up to save him. Uh, and it turns out that HW has been hit in the head and can no longer hear for the rest of his natural life. So the well sets a flame and Plainview leaves HW to go fix it, despite HW pleading with him to say, because I'm sure it's a very traumatic experience to suddenly not hear your voice. Mm -hmm. And while it burns, Plainview celebrates. He says, quote, there's an ocean of oil underneath our feet and no one to get at it but me instead of being with his son. Um, or even falling to his knees and going, my boy, my boy. It's my like boy both moments are happening simultaneously and he chooses which one he wants to inhabit. <laughs> yeah. Wholly inhabit the celebration of uh, deal Eureka. with the kid later. Yep. Yeah. Um, um, which is and I love this moment because we also cut to Eli witnessing this from a distance from his farm. And it just looks like a huge gout of hellfire bursting out of the ground. Right. Which yeah. is means two the two men are looking at the same omen and one thinks it's a bad omen and one thinks it's a good omen. That's so yes, cool. It's, it's very cool. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, after putting out the well, which I love it. I didn't know until this movie how they actually did it. Looked it up. That's how they do it. Mm -hmm. When an oil well is on fire because it, you know like the natural gas comes out and then you know there's a spark somewhere etc cetera, etc cetera. now you just have this flaming thing they blow it up <laughs> because i guess the uh the change in pressure the change the explosion itself uh it like cuts, blows the fire out and then the, it blows the fire out yeah and i thought that was cool because they just like they just put in tnt in a essentially a fire an oil drum and then they wheel it up and then they blow it up and then it's no longer on fire. It's very cool special effect that they did practically. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I lost my spot for That's a second. That's fine. The town has three wells just a few weeks later. Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time, they, we see a doctor inspecting HW and it's kind of brutal. They manhandle him. It's like going to a dog, going to the vet, right? Like they just hold yeah. him down while he screams. Um, but he confirms that, at least at their, according to their era's level of medical knowledge, he's going to be permanently deaf for the rest of his life. They hire a teacher uh, who doesn't actually arrive yet, but they he talks about how he's going to hire a teacher to come teach HW how to like live, how to sign and how to navigate the world as a deaf person. Um, me And then we get a scene of Eli coming to demand the church's $5,000 
and and saying, you know, that was part of the deal. It's been like a long time and you have three wells. Where's our fucking five thousand? I need to build this church. Yeah. To which Daniel viciously beats him, rolls him in the oily mud and says, you should have healed my son with faith. Why can't you heal my son with faith, you piece of shit? And he says, this wouldn't have happened if you let me bless the well. And he says, I'm going to bury you underground, Eli. Oh. And piles mud over his head. <laughs> oh, I'm going to bury you underground, Eli. I'm going to bury you. Um, which is funny because at the end he'll say, I-, I told you I'd eat you up. But he actually said he was going to bury him. Um, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's whatever... It's whatever Sir says. Yeah, Yeah. whatever you want, dude. So um, he basically gets tired of humiliating Eli and walks away. Uh, And that's amazing because this is the exact midpoint of the film. And Uh, if you already know the film, this is the exact sequence at the end of the film. He'll just go all the way. Uh, And yeah. And like a good like a good uh, midpoint. It's. the actual midpoint is bookended by scenes that uh, reflect each other. Uh, and so that night at dinner, Eli takes his frustration <gasps> out on his true. father point, and dude. calls him a stupid man for letting play him into his home, threatens that God will not save him because he's stupid, yeah. and then straddles him and covers his mouth exactly as Plainview did to him earlier that that day. Instead of oil that he's putting in his mouth, it's dinner, which will become symbolically relevant yes. later. Uh, but just, uh, I just like the idea that Eli is just like, he did this to me. Well, I, I'm going to do it to someone else. And who's the weakest piece of shit around me right now? <laughs> My guy. Yeah. yeah. And I also want to point out that the actual exact midpoint to the second, this is the structural midpoint in terms of the film, but uh, is a, literally a profile shot of him facing his brother who looks remarkably like him, like facing each other. And pro- you know what I mean? The midpoint of right. this film is a symmetrical frame. I don't know if that's intentional. I just noticed it. That's cool. Uh, um, but regardless, the new ge- oh, the new cat on the scene is Henry Plainview, uh, a guy who comes and introduces himself to Daniel as his brother from another Played mother. Played by Kevin J. O'Connor. Woo! Uh, woo! Yeah, it's Benny from The Mummy. Right, anyway. Uh, he's definitely on the wrong side of the river in this. Yeah, yes, he is. <laughs> um, Daniel demands proof. He seems to know stuff about his life, so he tacitly accepts that he's his brother. Uh, and they eat together, and we sort of learn a little about Henry and his history. And he says he's been a bad man. He's been a convict. He was on a chain, da- chain gang, um, but he's free now, and he wants to be an oil man. And his first attempt failed miserably. And he kind of admits that he's here uh, for a job, but also to get to know his brother. And he hopes he won't turn him away just because he's here for a job. And uh, he seems well, actually, we cut out. But later we'll see that he apparently agreed because Henry starts working with him. Yeah. Uh, And they're growing close. It's something that it's weird because it it does acknowledge that Daniel Plainview is has some sense semblance of family. He's not just. We don't get the sense that he's Orson Welles in, you know, or a sociopath. He's capable of loneliness. He's capable of loneliness. He's capable of sadness and feeling betrayal just like anyone else. And also has a compulsion to like, even if it benefits him, because I think that also the for the same reason, H.W., a pretty little face that implies family. Mm -hmm. So does uh, Henry. But he does 
want him to be his brother. It's not like he's like, oh, I have to deal with this shit now. He's like, really? OK, cool. Great, great. Yeah. I like this. All right. You're going to be a part of the family now. You're you are in the inner, inner sanctum. And I didn't know you a second ago. Uh, so I thought that that was interesting. And uh, yeah, as they get to know each other, he eventually opens up and sort of confides in him. And he tells us something that we've been suspecting as the audience. But he <laughs> finally puts a name to it. He says, I am angry and envious. I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. Mm-hmm. I hate most people. Uh, and basically, I don't know. The impression I get is that like. Henry kind of agrees. Henry is like him as a failure because he doesn't seem to like people. Um, But he says, my thing is, I just don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, Whereas Daniel looks at people and sees nothing worth liking and wants to earn enough money that he can get away from everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he says, what are you going to do with HW? And he clearly doesn't know. And he says, I don't really want to talk about that. Um, But I think this is also great because it's the rallying cry of so much of modern politics. And it's, so true. He says, I see the worst in people and I don't have to look farther than that to get what I need. So why mm. would I look farther than that is the implication, right? Ooh, ooh, <laughs> it's ooh. like, that is chilling. Uh, and yeah. so true. Um, so then HW one night intentionally uses oil to set the tent that Henry and Daniel are sleeping in on fire, presumably trying to burn them alive. I don't know. You know, he's young. I think it's- specifically Henry because he's like draped his bed and stuff. It's not like he's oh. going after his dad. I think he's just jealous and he's trying to burn Henry alive because he went uh, and he accidentally burns down their house. Yeah. Um, Daniel, I, th- I thought there was an interesting again. Daniel run, like sees that HW is like a like a dog that's done something he's, bad. He's like feral, he runs yeah. away. He's like, ah, are you going to, he's like, oh, so you did this. <laughs> and so he runs and catches HW. Uh, but I would note just, just based off like where, what type of what age and what, where this movie is and what these people are. Like, I would note that he doesn't beat him, <laughs> which I, was I thought expecting. when he grabbed him, he was going to beat the shit out of him. Didn't you? Especially yeah. because this is another thing that PTA does so well in execution is that he puts this big bush in the background that they have to go behind. That's where the catching happens. And you'd imagine that something monstrous might happen there because mm-hmm. just for only a split, a few split seconds, you actually see, like you could just add sound effects and it would be you like, just add oh, sound God, effects of horrible. hitting or yeah. something like that. You could like you just you fear for the worst. That's what that bush does. But he just comes out and he's just carrying his son. And then but he does do the worst. <laughs> he does do the worst, which is leave him on a train and send him away to like San Francisco or someplace. Some boarding um, school. Ships some boarding off. school. You know, hey, learn some sign language. I can't deal uh, with you anymore. You're I'm, a liability. Not, you're a liability and I, I don't need you anymore because the yeah. reason you're jealous of Henry, that's true. Uh, I have someone that I can go to meetings with and say, I'm a family man, Mm. Uh, which is what happens next. Plainview meets with Standard Oil, which is like the big oil, the New York Yankees of oil, I assume. And we we meet. What's his name? Wilford Milford. It's a Milford. He's a Milford man. man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is just a guy who's like running the negotiations and they talk about getting rich and. Uh, he makes a reference uh, to to Daniel Plainview. He's like, why don't you just take the like million dollars, get rich and spend time with your boy uh, <laughs> and to this Plainview gets hostile 
because that is exactly the flaw that he cannot allow, right. which we see comes up later in, this, in the sermon and the baptism. But just the idea that he abandoned his boy or he is not taking care of his boy and needs to spend time with his boy. Oh, boy. Now he's going to go build a pipeline. And he's going to work with a different company. And if and one day he's going to come into your room and cut your throat. These are all things that he says he's going to do to that man. Yeah. Uh, prompted by, why don't you spend time with your boy? Uh, so, and the yeah, guy and is genuinely confused. Like, I'm sorry, what, like, what happened? Are crazy? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? And he said, I said, I'm going to cut uh, your throat. I'm cut <laughs> while you're sleeping into your house and cut your throat. Now, the problem is, in terms of Plainview's machinations is that the reason that he was going to Standard Oil to begin with is to use the railroad system that they have they have like built the infrastructure around for the whole country uh, the problem is that there's that bandy track of land which is right in the way so he can't really build a pipeline so even though he doesn't really have a deal with Bandy yet, he surveys the entire length of the pipeline to the ocean and we see it as a montage that kind of echoes the idea that he and Henry are, you know, becoming more friends. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're working together. They're actually surveying the pipeline and he arrives in, you know, I think m might as well be Santa Monica. Uh and he signs a deal with Union Oil and he like drives the stake that he's been using the whole way to mimic like this is the directionality of where the pipeline will go. It lands it right on the map and someone's like, someone should get that framed and put it in glass or so, whatever. Mm. So he's made he's basically had a meeting with Standard Oil and uh, decided to go had to go to Union Oil, which I assume is their competitor and also like lower down on the rung because they don't have the but deal out of with spite. The, yeah, <laughs> the the railroads, but clearly out of uh, spite. So now they're in California or now they're on like the beach area. And um, and now we have a scene where Daniel and Henry decide to go to the beach to kind of just wow. like, you know, enjoy the ocean. What a scene. And while celebrating at the beach, Daniel mentions a peach tree dance, which is something that he like Daniel can you can tell from the performance, which is so good. Uh, that it's like it's something that he's like, oh, this is a like a deep cut, and Henry's gonna get a kick out of this because Henry would know what a peach tree dance is, it's and a this probably yeah. it'll probably start a whole conversation about peach tree dance, and they're gonna enjoy reminiscing about their youth. That's what Daniel's expecting, and Henry uh is like, yeah, all right, and this installs the idea that he is an imposter. Now Which it turns out he's you get. Just I it's just amazing how you get it all through just Daniel Day's face. Like there's shots of them swimming and he has this facial expression that's like, oh, man, he's human. He actually likes this guy. And then it's bookended at the end of the scene with a shot of him swimming, looking back at the shore at Henry. And you're like, oh, he's going to murder this man. <laughs> I also love that the tide is coming in in that yep. second shot. Like, here comes nature. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they go to the tavern. Henry asks, so now now that it now that the seed is in his mind, Henry is just a grading thing, right? He hates Henry yeah. now. So yeah. uh, you can tell how it's just he's just ruminating on it and getting angrier and angrier as Henry asks him for money and laughs at some joke we didn't hear. And Daniel clearly like resents his happiness, sees him as a leech. Uh, and this all culminates in him suddenly waking him in the night at gunpoint with the world's tiniest little gun and mm -hmm. interrogating him to prove he's an imposter. What a scene. And he says uh, he eventually Henry eventually admits, I met your brother. We were good, good friends. He died. 
I am a pathetic man. I took his story. I read his diary. I studied his life. I took his story. He did. I'm just doing what he wanted to do. And I could be a brother to you. Uh, and I'm sorry, but I'll just leave. Okay. I'll just leave. Boom. Headshot. Uh, the, the yeah. <laughs> brutality of the headshot by Daniel Plainview. In it is scene. not he, an instant headshot, which you never he, see. He covers his mouth and then you, and forces his head down and then just puts his gun, the small gun on his temple, like the Derringer or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it's like just putting like, a cow down. You man. know that it's like stabbing someone with a Swiss army knife, but you know, it's to the brain and eventually it's going to work because it's not like they have medicine. Just right freely ready a uh, doctor is around so he shot him in the head and you can imagine that bullets only a few inches in compared to no country like, and the oh, bovine injector it's crazy ooh, rough and yeah. of course uh you know kevin j uh kevin j o'connell is fucking O'Connor is fucking killing it. Yeah. And he has a great death scene. And it's one of the best scenes in the movie. Uh, the next day, we are woken. Well, by, I, I think oh, it's important. I guess, yeah, he drinks himself asleep. Yeah. I think it's important that he weeps. It's that's the, the, he reads his brother's diary because Henry had it on him. And a baby photo, presumably either of himself or his brother as a baby, comes out and he weeps. And I don't know if that's saying it could be saying one of two things. Capitalism right. crushes everything, including the people who think they're winning it, uh, mm. which I would think is valid. But also, uh, maybe that he's uh, maybe that he is a sociopath, because I will say the one thing that there's a famous trope that sociopaths do care for babies and animals. And I noticed those mm. the only thing that he cares about in this movie. Um, but that's all. That's interesting. He gets wasted and he wakes up. Take it away. Uh, the next day, Bandy, the the mysterious man, played. Uh, Played by Hans Howes, who, by the way, was in uh, Illusion in Red and White, a oh, uh, thesis film that I worked on. Nice. Yeah. Fucking hilarious. That guy was so fucking hilarious because he was a dirty old man. Uh, and he, he he had a line that he would say if you he said a few times because I think he was like drinking and he didn't remember if he had said it to us or not. And it's a signature <laughs> but, line. Yeah. But a signature line of just like usually like anytime we'd be like, you OK, Hans, because he's like very he's an old man. Uh, so like and traversing these like hills was like tough for him. So on our production, he would be like, he would just stop, look at whoever was like helping him, who had touched him, who had, uh, you know, was like, all right, I'll lead you to the, the, this way. And he's like, and he would say, I got one foot on a banana peel and one foot in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've heard that. One. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> uh, just, I love that the people that Paul Thomas Anderson gets because they're clearly just characters. Yeah. He's like, yeah, man, you get it, man. You get it. By the way, Paul Thomas Anderson in my head is always a stoner because just hear him sure. speak. And he's just like, yeah, man. <laughs> he's just like, that'll be good for an that's, advice. That's going to be perfect for the scene, man. And it's, it's literally how he directs people. It's just who he is. Uh, anyway, uh, Bandy arrives having seen the murder uh, revealed in the scene. And he tells him to confess his crime in Eli's church, all of his sins, if he wants his, if he wants to uh, make a pipeline through his property. So he says he, on one side, Daniel Plainview, you have confessing in front of the person that you hate and to God, becoming a part of our congregation, getting baptized in Eli's church, or you have a pipeline. Those are the choices. And 
I know I got you because I was watching last night when you killed your imposter brother. So Bandy's basically got him by the balls. Uh, and guess what we do? We cut right to the baptism. The scene. Because, yeah. Which is quite a scene. Uh, because that is what, because Daniel Plainview will always do what's necessary for the pipeline. Anything, anything, any amount of money. Money over everything, including his own humiliation. He Even just thinks to himself, I'll get this guy back later. Which know? is what happens. <laughs> yeah. Eli makes him feel it. Eli goes the whole length and make, humiliates Daniel in front of everyone. and Slaps him around. Into, yeah. Confessing that he has abandoned his son, which really gets uh, Daniel's goat. Uh, the baptism scene is exactly why I go, okay, Daniel Day-Lewis is just like too good. I've never seen that before and it also rings insanely true and like especially in that moment like i don't know when you're watching it i had a big reaction to in the scene when he uh when he starts slapping him and he starts any and it's not after he starts slapping him but it's uh after he starts slapping him and he starts bringing up his son there's mm -hmm. just this switch happens in Daniel day Lewis's performances where he's basically like, oh, all right, we're doing this, Eli, you piece of shit. You want to go this way with it? OK, OK. All right, uh, Eli. You know, like that's just how he. Performs. Yeah, it becomes his defense mechanism is to make it a joke. Get it all out. Yes, that's good. There he is. There he comes. Yeah. He's like, no, what? I like this. I'll just kill you later. Like, don't worry yeah. about it, bro. Is this your Lord? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like uh, he is just. And Ed, when it's all lie. over, he whispers. And that's my pipeline. <laughs> and that's my pipeline. Because he's like, I did it. I yeah. did the thing that I had to do. Try ooh, out my fire. Ooh. And then an amazing shot. We pull out as everyone mills around. And he walks up smiling like the biggest forced mm. smile you've ever seen, shakes Eli's hand, whispers what is presumably a death threat to him. Yeah, but it is fucking it's silent. <laughs> it's silent. We don't and, get it. Yeah. And mixes with the crowd. And Eli just slowly looks haunted and goes out of mm -hmm. focus. It's so good. <laughs> but now that he's publicly done that and all that, and he probably has his own, this is probably a little bit more than he would like to admit. Some kind of freeing, you know, it's a baptism. He's mm -hmm. confessed his sins. There's probably some weight being released. He's obviously off screen calls for HW to return from the boarding school. And so he arrives, we get another long lateral dolly panning shot from a distance where uh, at the conclusion of HW hits him. He hates him for sending him away. But uh, Daniel uh, Day-Lewis, uh, Plainview, just hugs him and hugs him and hugs him because that's all he knows to do. Uh, he's just express. I'm going to try to express the love. Uh, and so that you can see that they're. Basically, their and obviously relationship what Eli said, forever changed. He did feel yeah. guilty. Yeah. And we get more of that as we go to lunch, The I assume the next day, but it could be any day at this point. And Tilford arrives again, uh, and he's arrived to eat, and Plain, Plainview starts bragging. Uh, first off, Plainview is way, way uh, like, I you served me. I asked for my milk and my whiskey first before those men walked in to, you know, with their drink orders. So you should serve me. So he's petty. But more importantly, um, basically, he's uh, he's arguing that uh, he's arguing. He's bragging in front of him. Remember that thing that I did? Remember when I, uh, I got all I wanted and I turned down your million dollars and that my son is here and that's great. 
Uh, all <laughs> those things. He just starts you look describing like how he's great. You look yeah. like a fool, don't you, Tilford? Yes. Yes. Like, he's going full Homer Simpson jerk ass. Because he's losing it. Because he doesn't know. He is on top and he just doesn't know how to, like, sore winner. Yeah. He's a sore winner because he felt he felt like you should always known that I was a king, which is, uh, you know, petty. That's a petty king. Mm-hmm. Um, petty so me, mm-hmm. meanwhile, Eli leaves the camp for missionary work. That's just a scene where we kind of get an unresolved like they don't have after the baptism. Eli has the self-satisfaction of winning. Daniel Plainview is going to take this and it's going to brew and brew because he didn't even get to clamp the clap back because Eli just went to go for missionary work. Cut to 1927. HW has been keeping in touch with Mary Sunday uh, from earlier in the film. All his life, we get a short montage of them while they're young, uh, basically doing everything with each other uh, for the next few years. But so therefore, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that now, to in, uh, you know, 16 years later, they're going to marry each other. So we get that wedding. Plainview is not in attendance. He is just a rich recluse, drunk most of the time, it seems. He's in his mansion, signing checks, firing at the, you know, just firing off furniture. Just totally hammered, signing checks for the company, it seems. Um, It runs itself. Yeah. Yeah. HW comes to visit anyway. And he tells him that he's, he's, he's got his translator with him. And his goal in this scene is to tell him that he's starting his oil company and he wants his blessing basically. But that's not how it goes at all. First off, Daniel Plainview insults the translator time and time uh, again. Interpreter, tells him that he, Interpreter. Yeah. He, uh, in turn, and he tells essentially uh, his son to speak. Uh, he's tired of this nonsense. He, he makes it seem like, he makes a funny dig at the fact that we, uh, when HW asks to be alone because there's just a man in the room uh, who's just, I assume, taking his notes, you know, mm. or whatever. Um, he says, "Can we be talking private?" Plainview is looking at to him. That's a hypocrisy because you will never be private. You have a man here who who does all the interpreting for you, and that is not a man at all. Is the assumption I think that we're making because he takes a dig at his essentially his ability to be a man he takes a dig at his uh his intentions and basically does everything but gives him his blessing um so yeah it's not it's it's obviously estranged at this point well, he's become um, a paranoiac it's like it's also doubled yeah. because right he he's striking out because in a petty way to not be hurt because mm-hmm. he's so hurt that mm-hmm. so and also his business sense as he says yeah. Uh, oh, he immediately retcons their entire relationship and he says, oh, I see. You realize this makes you my competitor. I should have known you've been building your hate for me all these years, piece mm-hmm. by piece. Uh, so it's like he's immediately recast him as a Henry, right? He's like, oh, you've always been mm-hmm. a piece of shit. And he says, by the way, you're not my son. You are an orphan. I need you to a know bastard. that. Now's the yeah, time for bastard. you to know that. I just found you in a basket in the desert. You're a bastard from a basket. Um, I just needed a sweet face to buy land, right? Pushing every Which button all that we've seen could be going. true, yeah. but also we do get it. Like, we get the impression Tom- that he loved Well, him. Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson, right after the scene, he, book- he bookends the scene with a sequence, a little short sequence where he actually goes like, look at this time that both of them, father and son, seem genuinely happy. I don't know if that's 
P.T. Anderson saying, but it was, I think it's a lot like that Paul Thomas Anderson thing uh, in Magnolia where he's saying like, but it happened. He's just giving you a scene. Both happened. That yeah. there, there, there's truth there, though. There's truth and, there. And he does seem grief stricken because we get him. Yeah. He gets even more hammered and we get the classic shot of someone holding onto bars with the and it looks like it's a, he's in prison, right? He's in a cage right. now. He's all mm. alone. Um, but he's not because someone's come to visit and mm. uh, it's Eli Sunday. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, liquored up Homer and Flanders together. Uh, Daniel wakes up in a gutter, but not a literal one. No, a bowling alley gutter because he has a bowling alley installed yeah. in his home. And I think this is great because in order to wake him from the hangover, Eli screams, Daniel Plainview's house is on fire, which is an accurate metaphorical assessment of his life completely yeah. daniel plainview's right. house is on fire uh and he wakes him up and continues to name drop and brag about how great shit is he's going fancy now he's, he's in a, a nice suit preacher. he's a yeah. man of the city he's sophisticated he's not no country yokel no more um he clearly came to rub shit in his face and just pick the wrong time buddy <laughs> read the room not read the time the room, to rub man. shit in his face alone in a basement this is, um this is fucking xanadu you can disappear here. yeah exactly and just like um there's a great ds9 episode with cisco and ducat stranded together and ducat oh, yeah. trying to make him convince him that he they no, you really like me i love that mm -hmm. dynamic you get it very rarely where pe people are enemies and then 20 years later one of them is like Ah, uh, my old great. nemesis. But we were friends deep down, and the other one's like, "No, we no, aren't." You the were fuck? Fucking... Yeah. <laughs> and, but he tries to play it like they're friends, and he has the gall to ask him for uh, money. Hundred thousand dollars. He needs a hundred thousand uh, dollars, and he says, "Okay, on one condition." I want you to tell me that you are and have been a false prophet, and that God is just a superstition. And he says, uh, "I can't say that it's a lie." And then he says it anyway. Uh, and he makes him do it louder and louder, obviously calling back to the sermon. I think that the it, at first, just to like he says that you need to confess that you're a false prophet and denounce God. And he says no. And then he's like, all right, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars immediately. And, like, and he immediately immediately yeah. just starts saying, I am a false prophet. Like he is just like Daniel. Daniel. But then he, he goes, Don't do laugh. Say, yeah, say it seriously. So this okay, is louder, first louder. Baptism. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I, what I love is then the setup of, I don't know, I feel like the first time I saw this movie, I thought, ah, oh, this is his revenge, right? Because it's an eye for an eye. He's doing the exact thing he did to him. In his eye, it is, yeah. And you no, but he goes further. <laughs> like, he doesn't stop yeah. with, and even, it's not we're even, because uh, he makes him do the exact thing he made him do. And then when it's done, uh, he says, I don't have to give you money it doesn't matter and he it goes what do you matter. mean it's what do you mean it doesn't plan. matter and he goes that oil's all gone the ocean of oil under the earth is all connected i drank it's gone i sucked it up from your land from everyone's land it doesn't matter where it is i own the land under the ground it's called drainage and he goes um, um uh. and he starts telling him paul was smart 
uh, because Paul was the one the who found the out. oil and knew to connect it to me. And I'm God's chosen and Paul's God's chosen. Don't you see? God is showing you you're a failure. Don't you see that? You're the one that's disgraced mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like you could not be more hurtful to this particular man. Like it's <laughs> the most devastating thing you could possibly do. And I love that do to that causes Eli to confess that he's been in a bad way financially and yeah. even morally. He's like uh the He's like, I've been sinning a lot, dude. I've been sinning a lot. God's been putting a lot of shit in front of me, and I've been. I'm rickety cricket, man. (laughs) Appeals to my humanity. Uh, And yeah, that's uh, so Eli is now just laid bare. And for this, Daniel chooses to chase him around the bowling alley. And then eventually, and even though he's fear stricken, squealing for please don't hurt me, he takes a bowling pin. And he hits him upon the head like three or four times and well, exclaims, I think it's, I'm finished. I'm finished. Sorry. I think it's important that he uh, hits him once and then takes a beat to consciously decide I'm, I'm going murder. to murder him yeah. and then murders him. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that all the blows are completely off frame. You only see the aftermath of the yeah. violence, but it's brutal as hell. Mm hmm. And all, the only other thing that was probably important for pedagogy is that he the, famously in this scene, if you've seen this, he or says like that, he's, he's, <laughs> he brings the metaphor of the straw being how he drank the ocean of oil beneath him. It's mm-hmm. like, I can be on the other side of the room using my straw and I drink your milkshake. So anyway, anyway, uh, that's, that's, that's like, oh, he said the line. He uh, said the line. That's fine. But we're finished. Th- that's diegesis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're finished. Pedagogy. Nice. One hour even to the All right. to the nanosecond. Well played. All right. Let's do it. Cool. Um, so yeah, man, is it what do you get out of it beyond? Is it just capitalism will destroy us all? That's a perfectly fine message. That's that perfectly fine. Of. I think that there's <laughs> I think that's the big one. And I think and there's something about me that likes in the Western kind of um aspect of genre play. It's like keep it simple, stupid. But mm-hmm. there is some other stuff that I think that he has to say about uh, the men who, you know, play this game. The idea of modernity is probably also important, but we should probably just start with. I think religion is all like, here's my big thing that I took away this time, other than the obvious one, which is capitalism causes people to do terrible things to each other right. uh, and distrust each other and et cetera, et cetera, which we can keep talking about. But the thing that I really got from this one is that it's how much of it is a uh, indicative of modernity and like why it's this time, why it's like 1980 or 1998 1898 or 1898 to 1920 something. You know, yeah. it's, it's like he controls. So Daniel view controls land because of the oil, right? Eli, which represents what Americans of the previous age gave power to, which is this idea of religious healing, right? But now society has determined that wealth is where power resides. So it's not just that capitalism does a thing. It's also how did we get to capitalism? And I think that there's he does this several times to make them the same. Paul Thomas Anderson says the religious healing, the the confidence men, the Eli and the Daniel, the, the, the fact that they both demand over the asking people, the absolute entitlement of both of them and lack of tolerance for uh, people who are even similar to them and despising of each other, uh, you know, 
that comes from the idea of needing to punish each other. And I think there's a few ways in which throughout the movie they do punish each other. And I think it's apt to this religious verse capitalism or religion versus wealth which is i love how plainview puts oil in eli's mouth in that first kind of mm. you know head to head and then eli puts dinner in his father's mouth which to me almost represents the eucharist like it's food in the mouth from religion mm -hmm. but then we decided at some point after manifest destiny when there was no more room to grow and we had to turn inward into the cage that was America. And all this opportunity was now at each other's throats where we were like, it's not just the frontier anymore. It's I, it's me versus you. Mm -hmm. uh, wealth became a means to feed yourself. And I think in America, the idea of wealth taking over was obvious and ne a necessity because the second that you are in the tragedy of the commons, where it's just this enclosed space with finite resources, your enemy is no longer yourself or nature. It becomes other people. Currency becomes the enemy. And that's why. And that's what I think he's doing in this is I think just with a few simple gestures, he's doing this kind of thing where he says, like, what is like, there will be blood, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that uh, that's the name of the movie. I think that there's multiple interpretations of that, but the one I really like I is just that. <laughs> yeah, yeah what's your... I, the one I really like is just the simple one, which is just like in order to do anything, uh, there will be a cost, and the cost in this particular story is the pinning of religious ideals, even if they're not true religious ideals. Like everyone is a confidence man, everyone is a kind of a liar. We get that, we find that out. Uh, everyone's a sinner. Um, but they're willing to do whatever, even kill and spill blood. And also, I don't know, blood and oil are tied together. You know, I put more uh, emphasis on the will, man, uh, because I think I take back that he's a sociopath, by the way. I think the tragedy really only rings the most true if he's anyone. And mm -hmm. I do think that's true, that capitalism can do this to anyone who's had the misfortune of thinking and somehow confusing the idea that happiness is money or that they won't be lonely if they can fill it with money or that they mm -hmm. can prove their worth by dominating other people. Um, these are all hollow ends. <laughs> like I, I truly believe they don't bring like there. It's a chase that you can never complete. You can never like find resolution there. Yeah. And I do think that can happen to anybody, not just people with particular like emotional behavioral challenges. So uh, let's presume that he's just a guy that this, that became this monster and mm -hmm. there, and he's nature to me. He is like conflated with the natural world and the forces of nature and inevitability. And that's what I, so it's, it's kind of the wiry, which is it's bleak, man. But to me, I really got there will be blood. Like you can't, you can't. And look around the world around us. I don't know. I, I feel like we live at a time in history where this feels true that, uh, because I strongly believe the wire seems to say uh, that there are natural inclinations at play, not even inclinations, but necessities based on the fact that we are made up of a limited web of empathy. Right. Uh, read Jason Parjan's art, famous article about the monkey sphere. You can only have empathy or sympathy for X number of you can only maintain that many relationships in your brain actively. Uh, and we're all 
trying to live in a world with billions and billions of people and we all have needs and we all have interests and we're all mm -hmm. self-directed and doing what we think is let's ignore all the people who are doing things that are wrong or who are having bad chemicals in their brain make them act erratic let's just like as like a physics equation right let's just assume everyone's like average and okay um and fairly like healthy at the time so even giving that everyone still has opposing interests and doesn't know the totality of what's going on with everyone else, not the, or even beyond that, how interconnected things will all affect each other. No one can mm -hmm. predict that. So it's like there, the poor will always be with us. As Jesus said, like there will be blood. There cannot not be, it might be possible yeah. that we're, we're capable it's of get violent. We're capable of imagining utopia. I don't know if utopia is a practicable it could ever exist in, in, in the totality of time. Like humans just might not be capable of that. There will be blood. That's what I got. Yeah, no, I agree entirely. That's kind of what I was thinking with the manifest destiny as well. It's like, once we realize we're in Ooh, the cage with inevitable. each other, yeah. the inevitability of the uh, caged animal to become violent is absolutely, you know, that's, From that's the, the tragedy. Your eye alights upon the thing and you think, I want that and I'll do anything to get it. Oh, it's mm -hmm. all downhill from there. Fuck. We're it's all downhill. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think um, I love one thing that I caught this time that I didn't necessarily is like, you know, just more about the straw, the milkshake, the idea, the oil mm -hmm. sucking out America's juice. Uh, the ending, the blood of Eli's head pools like the opening sequence of Daniel's makeshift rigging attempts. So there's also uh, something about like the violence that we do to each other and the violence we do to the earth. Like just just sure. speaking generally about oil, man. It's not saying anything specific other than we will, you know we will rape the countryside for its natural resources. Just like we do the same to each other Man, and for fear out of the, us, them doing the same to us. And the people who quote unquote win out of that equation, they won't even be happy. Like no. it, it will all have been for nothing really or not like oil generates energy and that energy is used for productive right. purposes. But in some way it's so sick and twisted that I truly believe that people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, I believe they have an emptiness inside them that they exactly. will never fill. Exactly, and, there, and there's a line. Terrifying, there's a line. because it means they they crushed all these people and they're not even happy. Who wins? It fucking sucks. As, as Daniel Plainview says, I look at people and see nothing worth liking. Yeah. I want to earn enough money to get away from everyone. Uh, and yet I at think the same that, time, he's lonely. It's so... It's yeah, True. it's it's <laughs> what capitalism does to each other because it create. I mean, it's what maybe life does, but it's definitely what capitalism promotes, which mm -hmm. is the cause for people to distrust each other. This movie says that that's true. I mean, you can argue. I mean, I think that you can make an argument to say that it doesn't, that everyone's going to lie. Like if or you that incentivizing people behavior aren't going to necessarily going to lie. You can be good. You Not can all billionaires. Fine people. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. But like, well, I mean, I think it's less reflective of billionaires in this case and more reflective of everyone else when P.T. Anderson gets this kind of. P.T. Anderson is going out of his way and, you know, to some extent, uh, the like first hundred pages or so of uh, Upton Sinclair's Oil, which is the novel that this is based on loosely. Um, th there's this emphasis on like, you know, the Henry character or just the idea that uh, 
everyone's going to lie to you and try to get your money and try to get your power because you have it. Um, that's the state. That's the zero sum game that capitalism plays off of that also creates prosperity or, you know, that I think that there's a truth in that, but it creates this system where the populace just does not ad hoc doesn't only fears each other. There's no, there's no room for growth in terms of community. It's anti-community. Um, and that's true. And I think that Paul Thomas Anderson can say both at the same time. Humanity is not good enough for something that's not capitalism. And also capitalism is the one of the worst forms that we have. Uh, I think both can be true at the and same time. And also the sweet moment where he loved the baby and the baby was pulling on his mustache that also it, happened. It it's happened. PTA. Yeah. It's going to be messy. And that's one of the things I like about him is he's one of the messier filmmakers. And some for some people, and it's funny to me because you and I are all, have always been like formalists in terms of like, and structurally it just all buttons up, baby. Uh, but we also have this, you know, like uh, optimistic nihilism in both of us that really, you know, we like it when we're like, yeah, there, there's no simple solution to life. And that's one thing that Paul Thomas Anderson does very well in this movie because he does have a simple thing that he operates everything from. But ultimately, he's also saying a few things about life and they're, they seem contradictory, even mm -hmm. though they aren't really. They're just true, I think. I think that's just me. Um, I think that there's... I have one more thing I want to talk about for pedagogy. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about... Also, like, how do we, how does Paul Thomas Anderson get there? Uh, it's a little bit more diegesis, but I wanted to uh, hide it just because I think that there's, there, there's an emphasis of symbolism in it, which is that this movie, I think most people in their first viewing, they are taken over by the kind of calmness and hypnotism of like the movie, the editing and the, the cinematography and the, the movement of camera, et cetera, uh, the soundscape. It's it makes a lot of nat it makes a lot of sense that we have a movie that does actually have some conversation about deafness, or at least it's a byproduct of the movie. And I think that the key to this movie, more so than like the bombastic editing style, something like uh, I don't know, uh, Bo Boogie Nights or Punch Drunk Love, this movie likes to linger. It drifts, it composes, and it pauses. Right, uh, and there's this kind of hypnotism that. Paul Thomas Anderson does in this movie and a lot of meditative films do that like if you watch meditative films we just watched on movie night uh, the other night assassination of Jesse James by the uh, coward Robert Ford another western but in this one with Greenwood's score it becomes like very creepy and off-putting where the meditation is not to see the glory in something but rather to see something's off and something's wrong um and something else that he does is he also makes, I mentioned earlier, that he makes the start of the film, like the first 20 minutes or so, is basically silent. And it does do this thing where it makes a, it makes you feel like you don't know why, but the, even the ground has it out for us. And I think that's the key to hallucinating kind of like what we're talking about. And it's also the key to why I think that thematically deafness is involved in this movie, is that there's something about us when we are distrustful of each other, when we are convinced by capitalism, as we've kind of put it, um, is that when you ha when you believe that everyone is liars and weeds to be plucked out from you know beneath you, uh, a deafness to it is the only way to really see life and be happy. 
you know, you kind of have to not think that people are out to get you in order to be happy. I think that's what kind of comes out to out of it. And we don't see the end of HW's story, so we don't know if that's necessarily true from the you know, the mouth of P.T. Anderson. But I actually like to think of that myself when I watch this movie, is that him going to Mexico, and if you look into it, it doesn't go well for, uh, for HW. HW. Yeah, historically, Mexico in like 10 years is going to go, like, all right, all foreign investors are out. We're and we zero your accounts or whatever. Yeah, yeah, we're nationalizing oil in our, in our country. So he, his, his business pursuits are... Uh, do not fare well. And that may be a part of it. Maybe in order to have the necessary business acumen, in order to become a polymath or a titan of industry, you have to have this thing where you distrust everyone. I think that deafness to it is like kind of the ringer. It's kind of the key. Put it out of your mind. You know, kind of ignorance is bliss a little bit. Um, I think that's something that's in this movie, not necessarily, you know, completed as in terms of like a rondo form in terms of the theme comes back and you and he has a scene that says that's the truth but i think that it's the only way out because otherwise it's just this is what life is you're in a hole and you're digging and sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you're not and guess what on at the top of that hole there's a bunch of people ready to kill you for it uh that's a terrible way for seeing the world indeed the only other one I had was that uh, Eli's trying to build a church, which is a big wooden cross sticking up into the air, and he's trying to build oil to get Derek sticking up into the air. I do is think it? there's a masculinity thing. I think it's a particular, like an undercurrent of it that is, yep. this is more, this illness is more pronounced in the masculine of the species, it seems, or at least structures exist to maintain that. Uh yeah. I think yeah. dicks are dicks are everywhere. It's very dicks true. are everywhere. It is part of it. Dick fighting, guys with their dicks fighting. Dicks touching that, each other. Dicks, dicks touching, what, but like in a oh man, there will be dicks. We better move on before I get too flustered. This brings us to <laughs> how do you do that? My favorite. How do you segment. do that? Yeah, I got a, I got, uh, I got a few. I got a few. You yeah. want to go? Um, sure. Every Wednesday night during editing, PTA and company would have just steak and vodka for dinner. Ooh, just like Plainview. To be Western-y and to be like Plainview, yeah. Plainview downs a whole like handle of vodka in a shot. It's only once a week. I think that's just fun. It's not a (laughs) huge sacrifice to have a steak once a week and a shot of vodka. Come on. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, I got one. This one's fairly famous. Coen brothers were shooting in the town (laughs) that they shot in, Marfa, Texas. And uh, as the story goes... UFO um, hotspot. Mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson got there for pre-production. They were shooting for a week already. And uh, when they met each other, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, I believe, said, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. And uh, Cohen Brothers, unknown to Paul Thomas Anderson, because they had heard that they were, the pre-production unit was coming for There Will Be Blood, mm-hmm. bought up all the hotel rooms. <laughs> in the whole town, yeah. In most, in most of the town. So that they, or at least in their like the closer hotel. They're not assholes. They're not buying out all of them. They just, Paul Thomas Anderson had to production unit for a week, had to drive a little farther is what it basically meant. But it's because they knew they were like, I, we want all our people to, you know, leave from one place. We don't want, 
these rooms to be filled. We know we're filling these rooms because the production is swelling. Anyway, uh, they, they plan in advance for that. They got, yeah. uh, but but then they got slowed down by there will be blood. So I was there gonna say be PTA got, got back worse. at them though. Yeah, yeah, because uh, there it was in pre-production. So one of the things that they were testing was the plumage of the oil rigging, the explosion. The uh, the for when HW gets injured, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is one of the big, I think, the biggest set piece in the movie. Probably the biggest effect, of, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, in fact, Industrial Light and Magic approached them later and was like, "You are really good at this. We're going to use some of these shots, as well as the special effects artist who also worked on Jarhead in 2005 for Sam Mendes. He also created these plumage effects in the distance. And Industrial Light and Magic was just like, "Can we get the master footage? Because we're going to." Uh, cut those out and use that for that's like, like our CG official properties. gout of flame yeah it's yeah. it's it's just so fucking good and it's because this one guy is really good at doing this um so that's that's that but anyway uh they were Which just is cool because that. that means you've seen that flame again elsewhere in other movies you just in other movies yeah. you just don't know it and because flame is so nebulous yeah. in terms of visuals it can be in anything a fireball extending from someone's hand uh you know, it doesn't have to be something coming from the ground necessarily. But PTA got them back because they were testing the pyrotechnics and they're ruining no countries days. There's Their like skies. Their skies. Their fire. Yeah. The fire was calling this plumage of fucking black smoke. Uh, and so uh, it truly wasn't big enough for the both of them. Of course, like all <laughs> good things, it ends. Uh, they were only there for a week anyway. So. Basically, all of this came down to, yeah, they both stopped production for each other for like a day or two. And that sucks. And probably tens of thousands of dollars were lost, but everyone was paid. So it's mm -hmm. fine. Uh, also, I wanted to note is that along with the same oil well and like the the oil in the movie mm -hmm. was made from the uh, quote, the stuff they make milkshakes from in mcdonald's <laughs> which i've seen before and that make that tracks yeah it does look like brown oil yeah so they just it's just funny because the it's about that they make the milkshake, the milkshake i drink your milkshake yeah it's literal milkshake oh i literally drink your milkshake yeah your milkshake mix huh uh, weird uh i it think it's notable that this is that uh he watched the treasure of the sierra madre every night while filming this movie i saw that too yeah yeah uh, which really makes me want to finally watch The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. <laughs> Maybe oh, we'll cover really that later. I'm, I'm sure it's it good. wasn't. I'm sure I'm surprised it wasn't Giant because Giant is a film uh, that's about an oil man mm. uh, who strikes gold or strikes uh, oil. And uh, and it's like, but I don't know. It's Treasure of the Sierra Madre is about petty it's, envy. It's about destroying petty you. Envy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, yeah. naturally the most profitable PTA movie. I think a lot of people who are aware of this film might not even know PTA out per se and still know the movie, you know, uh, it was mm. big, uh, would have been bigger if not for no country. And I would argue assassination of Jesse James would have been bigger if not for both of these films. Another 2007 right. Neo Western <clears throat> man. That's really With on Brad the, Pitt. Yeah. That's really in the, on the pulse of small beans right now. Mm. We're really doing Westerns in made in 2007. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and of course, many alternate actors considered for Daniel Day-Lewis, including Weird Al Yankovic. I thought that was weird. I'm out, Abe. I don't have any more. That's a bizarre one. I, <laughs> no, I, I was joking. I that, that one was okay. okay. You're just out. I'm just uh, out. Uh, the only thing that I wanted to mention is that 
kind of par for the course for Paul Thomas Anderson is demands of the man makes movies about how usually people are going up against nature and they're going to get, I don't know, squashed. Nature's going to prove it's got some lessons out for you, right? Mm -hmm. That's what this man likes to make movies about is that it's one way you think it's a different way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, also, Mel Gibson was considering Daniel Day-Lewis for Jesus Christ and the Passion of the Christ, but instead went for Caviezel because he thought Daniel Day looked too European, which is a dog whistle way of saying, of saying that he's not Jewish looking enough. I'm just saying Mel Gibson's a huge piece of shit. And you well, pass you on that. Daniel Day-Lewis? Come on. Thank you for interrupting that with Mel Gibson. <laughs> oh, I thought you, a, ha you had a wrap up tone. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's just uh, the reason that I wanted to point that out was that for someone who makes those stories, Paul Thomas Anderson, when he runs his pr productions uh, and we saw it in Magnolia as well with the frogs, uh, kind of demands like, I think we'll just get it. It'll be fine. Like, we'll we got one shot at it. We'll just do it. Uh, and in this one, he was told, and there's a way to do it. You could, with the oil derrick on fire, you could make a steel one, put a veneer on it so that it uh, lights up, and then put it out, and then repaint the veneer, and then set it aflame again, right? That would be a smart way to do this, right? Yeah. No, he was like, but we have this wood one. And this wood one looks so good and it's such a big part of the movie. What why don't we just shoot all of why don't we just burn it once? And then you think about this sequence and how many shots there are. And then you think about that day. How long how they must have been scrambling. Why would you do that to yourself, man? Cause think about how long that sequence of the burning of the Derek is. Mm -hmm. Right? A lot happening. A lot happens. He goes back like it's it, it blows up. He uh, he drops off HW comes out. He watches it. It's still burning. Of course, all those reverse shots you don't have to get with camera with the actual flame. You can just, you know, they didn't burn the thing for that. But all of the footage was taken from one night, one probably 20 minutes, because how long does it take to burn something down that's made of wood? Probably not long. So I just thought that that's like Paul Thomas Anderson does this thing every now and then where he like tempts the gods and he seems to succeed. Like it still looks great. It was totally the right choice. <laughs> and it's like makes me a little bit mad because <laughs> I'm like, I want that look. Uh, that's mm. all I got. Mm. How do you do that? Some a lot of luck. That's that's well, uh, that's that. I don't know. You ask, but was it or. Why would you do that to yourself? I think the film itself is the answer. It worked out, man. It worked out. But yeah, it involved a healthy smattering of luck. How often do stories become the lessons of the stories that we're like telling? Like, I don't know. That's just like seems cadent and like providence yeah. to me. Uh, but I see your point. That's I'll it. Okay. Well. For me. Me. Too. <laughs> too. Uh, that, well, this is a good movie. This is a really, oh, good, really good. We didn't. Oh, yeah. We Gosh. didn't. Uh, we usually at some point do a little paragraph about. I think it goes without saying. What were we going to shit on? There will be blood. It's so good. Yeah, it's <laughs> come on. 
it's up our alley. It's maybe not everyone's cup of tea, but it really works for this old guy. Um, if you're listening along and you can't stand there will be blood, let like at me on Twitter at swam underscore corp or at Abe the mighty. Yeah, please. Uh, I want it. I would, I'm not joking. It would be fun to hear from someone who hates there will be blood and find out why. I just think that would be re- interesting. That'd be interesting. There's a lot of why we like it. And we just had to, it seems like an undeniable one to me. It's like Casablanca where you're like, yeah, well, it's just a yeah. perfect movie. I mean, it's just, it did the thing that it set up. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Well done. And the thing it says is true. And yeah. Uh, speaking of things that are true, that can be said, I want to mention this a little more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a movie night every Monday night at 6 PM Pacific time. If you are a Small Beans patron, you can join, watch movie with, watch movies with Abe, myself, and sometimes additional assorted Small Beans personalities will drop by. It's an open door policy, but it's up to them. But yeah, 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 yeah. Come hang out, watch movies. That would be fun. And if you are having problems uh, with the Discord and getting in the Discord, we know that it's it's a known issue. We've tried to solve it. We cannot. I've talked to Patreon a lot. It's that's not the important part. Important part is if you want to get in on this and find yourself locked out for any reason, just come to the Patreon and DM small beans and just say, Hey, I can't get into the discord. And guess what? I'll send you a link. And you'll go directly to the small beans discord server, presuming you have a discord account and And you you will find the movie night channel. And that's where we hang 6 PM Monday nights. Come do that. I think that's all I got. There's no guests, so there's no plugs. There's no plugs. Uh, continue to support Small Beans if you like film appreciation like this. Um, hopefully that was good for your, you know, end of your week. When does this come out? Beginning of the week. It comes out <laughs> on a mon- on a Mondays. On a Mondays or a Tuesdays. Enjoy the rest of your week, listener. <laughs> I'm finished. I'm also finished you know you remember the famous character stop making it go longer abe what the <laughs> fuck are you doing let it end i don't i don't want it to end i love i, I like hanging podcasting. out with you i like hanging out we love nope, you guys no that's right he's right we're All finished right, bye this has been a small beans endeavor we're a bunch of pals who make podcasts sketches music web series and movies the beans always have new ideas percolating so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash small beans where you can browse all of our current and past content see what we've got planned in the future and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans if you enjoyed this content module please like rate subscribe or tell a friend about us we love you